This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Here's Speroni, who rolls the ball out to Cannon. He's got options in front of him. He picks out Thomas. This is a nice-looking move from Palace. That's a neat ball to Ambrose, with space on the right. Good turn. He crosses into Johnson! Back of the Nest! Greetings all! Welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My given name is Christopher Philip Hamling and I'm your host for our look back at a thrilling game which Crystal Palace took on league leaders Liverpool at Anfield. Despite falling to a 4-3 defeat, it was an encouraging display from the Eagles once again against a top side who had more than a little luck to take three points. There is plenty to talk about from the game, and we'll also be covering a selection of list of contact throughout the show. My panel tonight is Mike Scott, Chris Clark, and DR Kernas. We'll be back with you after this short break. Back of the Nest Match Preview Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Terence here from the Preview Podcast, and to my left, I have Sam Heskiff. Hello. To my right, I have Albert Curley. Easy. Easy. And. On Thursday, from all good podcast outlets, you will be able to hear us talking about the upcoming visits of Spurs to Sellers Park in the FA Cup tyre. Tune in. Okay then, right, let's get on with the admin first. The Back of the Nest website, backofthenest.com, is uh, is really motoring along now. Loads of articles and loads to come this week. I... Still haven't quite got around to writing my article that I meant to write, but I'm sure we've got plenty uh, planned for the week. So check it out. Uh, and obviously, if you want to contribute, get in touch as well. Uh, after the show uh, today, you'll get a, a 10 minute uh, excerpt from our interview with Ray Houghton that we did on Love Sport last week. Had a great chat with Ray, obviously, pre- previewing the Liverpool game, but managed to get a few general questions in as well and talk about his time at Palace. So for any of you who haven't heard that, uh, just stay stay along at the end of this. Just 10 minutes of pure Ray. and uh, Very interesting it is too. Um, do, uh, as you have been doing and we've much appreciated, give us a rating on whatever your chosen podcast app is. Chuck us a five-star rating there. Be, be nice to us uh, because it really helps spread the word and uh, helps people find us and, and 
the more listeners they get, the more we can spread the show, the better we feel about doing it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to know that there's so many people listening, but we always want more. Um, so let me have a, a chat with my panel. Dr. Kernas, two weeks off. You, you <laughs> dropped out of Love Sport at the last minute last week, leaving me effectively on my own. We've Obviously, I had Jake Watson and a brilliant couple of guests. Uh, if you haven't heard it, do listen. It, it was great. Uh, I had uh, Paul Price and Lee Adams on. Who, um, Paul Price is a Palace fan you, you may know who's uh, does Homestale Cravatics Twitter account. Uh, and Lee is a Fulham fan. And they're doing a, a charity walk in aid of uh, mental health, but specifically male suicide as well, which is a, a, a subject close to both men's hearts. And everyone should be aware of that. So do check that out. Sorry, DR, I was talking to you. And then I got realised I had to talk about that and point people in the direction of that. So what, what have you been doing? Well, yeah, it's been a month, not two weeks. Yeah, technically, I was meant to have, uh, well, we were meant to have two weeks off. And then it's been extended. I've been busy with um, other commitments and, you know, return of the kebab shop this weekend. So there's been lots of stuff going on. <laughs> but yeah, I'm back, finally return back. Of, return of the kebab shop. I love that movie. So it's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was at a kebab shop this weekend. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's been good, though. It's been ca- good. Ca- ca- cash in hand, was it? don't answer that question don't don't do it don't do it well look, I'm, I'm very glad to have you back can't wait for your uh your feature later on today mainly for the jingle i'll be honest i'm looking forward to that but uh i'm sure you've been studying not only your university work but you've been studying palace and i've got plenty to say today we've also got chris clark hello chris hello mate how you doing Good, no comrade this week. I noticed. Well, well, we don't always do politics, do we? Not every week. No, no, <laughs> I nearly did. I love sport actually this week. Managed to stop myself. We actually have to be doing the show right in the middle of the uh, the uh, the, the Brexit deal vote, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> we've, we've all got our opinions on that, and uh, you know, this is a football podcast. Uh, but what you've been up to, mate? Uh, well, I, I had the pleasure of going up to the Liverpool game and I went up a day early. So yeah. had the opportunity to sample some of the wonderful pubs that the city of Liverpool has to offer. Met up with a few different Palace fans from different fan groups and saw loads, loads of mates obviously at the game as well, including my hairdresser, Galf. Um, so got, got a sneaky selfie with him, which may be going up on socials later on. Um, um, yeah. So, um, sorry, yeah. it's just a, just a strange concept of someone having a hairdresser. I have not had one for for a while, as you might have realised. <laughs> I probably should have said yeah. barber as well, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It made you sound a bit fancier than you actually are. Here's <laughs> uh, a man who might, might... Who's a man in who... Uh, I wouldn't have been good if I'd been able to speak there, wouldn't it? Oh, just before I go. Are you drinking anything? I know DR's just having water. What you got? Uh, I've got Meantime Anytime IPA today. Nice, nice. Uh, for the record, I genuinely am drinking Bushmills and Diet Dr Pepper. <laughs> oh wait, 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 wait! <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk about Dr Pepper, but basically, so a listener from my from my show actually went to my dad's shop and is talking about Dr Pepper with him. So I don't know who it is, um, but <laughs> I appreciate the nice words said. Um, I think they enjoyed the show, and yeah, he was he say he was saying how he hates Dr Pepper, and he was. Talk to my dad about why he's sending Dr. Pepper at the shop. So, yeah, that was funny. 
Can I can I can I just thank that person, even though I don't agree with their views on Doctor Pepper. <laughs> I really do think that's brilliant that they went into your dad's kebab shop, Seven Stars Kebab in Bromley. Uh, yeah. Go there. If you if you mention Back of the Nest, you will get zero discount because he's not really interested. Well, he, no, <laughs> he actually got a free drink. Did he? Oh, there you go. You might get a free drink. You, you might yeah. say nice things about us, yeah. depending on who's there. <laughs> okay, there you go. It's a free advert for your shop. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Mike. You've been waiting for ages. Hi. That's all right. I've been zoning out and I've been singing Mark Morrison's classic "Return of the Kebab" uh, to myself over and over <laughs> Love, again. That is so. a great song. Great absolute, song. Absolute banger. He made a long Return career off. Made Sorry, a long, long career off one song, didn't he? He did. Yeah. It was moan and groan as well. Oh, hello. I think we stumbled upon a Mark Morrison fan. Guilty on. What have I been doing? I I tell you what, it's life changing. I got myself a new sofa. I had one that was like, it was harder than oh, Danny Dyer thinks he is when he's drunk. Like it was so, it was rock hard. I've got rid of it. I got myself an enormous corner sofa. It takes up three quarters of my lounge, and it's life changing. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I've been enjoying I've been enjoying football. Like I can I can lie and as a six foot five man, it's a, I can I can lay either way round and still be totally fine. It's oh, it's good. Uh, Is this I've, to to address your back issues? Uh, yeah, it certainly helps. I don't think that old sofa stroke brick was was helping that at all. Uh, other than that, I have had a lovely Sunday in the sun. Walked from Hastings to Bexhill to take on their weather spoons. Uh, <laughs> Went to see the Shipwreck Museum, you know, all the classy stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it's been an all right weekend. And even... Do you know, like, what? I said this in the, in the warm-up. People said, you know, one, one guy got in touch and said that we'd become dull. And, and I would like to point out, we're talking about a Shipwreck Museum. <laughs> who, who can possibly call us dull? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Whoever said that, you're pretty wrong, aren't you? Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll be tweets. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing is drinking a couple of Estrella stubbies, uh, and I'm, I'm quite looking forward to getting into the game. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I'm feeling pretty positive this week, which is weird after a defeat. And you know, again, we've been uh, over the last few weeks. It has been a bit of a, a you know difficult period, even though we've picked up points and done quite well in a couple of games. I think you know all of us have, have been caught up in quite a lot of negativity. Uh, and, and that again, you look on you look on Twitter this week. There's it's been been similar. Um, so look, we, we thought we'd mix things up a little bit this week and, and get in with some of the contacts um, that we've got from you uh, right at the top of the show, rather than towards the end when we're all a bit tired. So, uh, so the, the first question we actually got in from Asante man, uh, he said, "Is it worth getting a left back to challenge PVA? We were un- uh, were we unlucky, or did we cause our own downfall with their goals? Um, we'll, we'll analyse the goals in a bit more detail, but that that first point." You know, we've got obviously Soiree in the, at the club, uh, and Roy described him as, as a good Premier League left back relatively recently, who, who wasn't getting games. Obviously, we spent money on, on Jeffrey Slup, who can play that position as well, even though he's been sort of redistributed to a, to a midfield position. But I think really the, the question there has got to be, uh, I think I think what, what he's picking up on there is is PVA's defensive struggles in the last few games, which you know I think I think back to his sort of uh, attacking best at times against Liverpool but you know maybe there's a point there um in regards to getting a new left back I'll, I'll rather get a midfielder and push Jeffrey Slot back there I wouldn't 
I wouldn't go for another left back, at least a midfielder. If we can get a versatile one, it might help us going forward and also defending. So it'll be much better in the long term. But yeah, yesterday, um, you could argue that PVA was at fault somewhat in both in two goals and the one the first goal where Sacco and PVA miscommunication and it was a poor clearance from him and then um of course in the third goal I think where PVA really didn't close down the Liverpool striker. I think it was uh, it wasn't Salah, I think it was Mane and therefore they they just got another lucky goal. So yeah he has he hasn't played that great over the last uh, couple of games but I'll still go for midfielder rather than another defender. I just don't see us having the kind of budget to get a left back that would even come close to challenging PVA, to be honest. Um, you know, he was an absolute steal at whatever he was, 12 million. And he does have his off games. Um, he goes up and down. But, you know, realistically, with the money that we've got, with the, the kind of, you know, three million bid for, for Clark from Leeds, we, we, it's not going to happen unless... Uh, we were incredibly lucky. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we're doing all right. And he, he had an off game, but that was it. Also, also it might be good um, to look at the academy for a left-back. Of course, Wan-Bissaka, he's been amazing since he's come into the side. So there, might, there may uh, be another gem in, uh, in the academy. So we could actually potentially look there um, to fill up their left-back position. Well, of course... Um... Of course, it go... okay, it was, uh, it was against Dulwich, I think it was. But of course, Tyreek Mitchell... Um... Played left back in that game before going off injured and was extremely impressive. Very aggressive going forward, looked comfortable in a in a pretty experienced back four. So, um, you know, you're right that there might be something to look there. But personally, I think we've got enough cover in the team, and it's just it's just a case of if PVA's, you know, defensive, um, what's the what's the word? Uh, you know, where you, it's not restrictions. I'm struggling for the word, but you know, limitations. I mean? um, you know, he's. He, limitations thank you chris yeah deficiencies all both of those things if, if those are um you know becoming an issue i think roy's got options in the squad to deal with that um of course you know it's not that long ago that jeffrey schluck was in that position and and doing pretty well so good question though it, you know it, it, i can i can see the point to it and you know you don't want to see too many patterns of people getting in down that side of the pitch and we'll talk about the positions of players later on as well because it's a very interesting system that we played um and you could see where what we were trying to do in in that game and um, and it very nearly worked uh getting on to the next question rob leonard i've put this one in there deliberately to, to um because I, I lost most of my day yesterday to liverpool fans now rob leonard has got in touch and said are liverpool now the most annoying deluded and glory hunted bouncing fan base um Get they get in there. Look, I think deluded. They're not deluded about how good their team is anymore. Let, let's let's be honest about that. They're a very 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 good side, uh, and it, and it's annoying to say that. But I actually had some re- really good discussions with Liverpool fans. A couple of them were just deliberately offensive, including one who I ended up bonding with because he accused me of looking like George Costanza from Seinfeld. Um, which, if he'd known anything about me, he would know it was a massive compliment as George is my hero. Um, I don't know if anyone on the DR was just will know nothing about what Seinfeld is, but I suspect Chris and Mike might well know. Um, and we ended up agreeing that I should change my answer phone message to match George's. So if you're not if you're not a Seinfeld man, that would mean nothing to you. So well, that's a good questions uh, conversations there. But I think more more importantly, it was very interesting to be on the other side of trying to defend a player against diving. But my my simple view is that you know they're two different things. They were 
desperately trying to point out how hard done by they were and how they weren't lucky to win the game. I think when we analyse the goals and we look at the incidents in the game, we'll probably be able to tell they were pretty lucky. So from that basis, they are incredibly annoying. Uh, and it's pretty obvious the rest of the footballing world despises them, to be honest. Well, I mean, thank you for the question, Rob. But if we break it down into the, the three parts of your question, are Liverpool now the most annoying fans? Well, no, that's obviously Brighton. Um, no questions there. Deluded, <laughs> I think you've probably got to look to Brighton. And yep. glo- glory hunting, you know, they'd probably support Chelsea, Arsenal or Spurs as well. So that would be Brighton. So uh, at the very <laughs> most, they are the second most annoying deluded glory hunting fan. There. No, I think I think you, the most deluded Arsenal fans, the most annoying Arsenal fans. <laughs> uh, but they're equal. Uh, actually, they might be equally annoying. I'm not too sure. But both Liverpool and Arsenal fans, I just can't stand them. Um, but they're not really... You can't, uh, Arsenal haven't got... Arsenal haven't had that much glory in the last few years, so I can't really call them glory hunters, maybe. But, yeah, definitely them, Arsenal and Liverpool. I think part of the issue is that it depends where Rob's question's coming from, because I, I can see that that was in, involved in a bit of a, I suspect, part of the battle that you were having on Twitter with various Belens. Chris, um, the, um, but you know, I mean, my my experience from inside the stadium was that they actually were quite annoying. It's fair to say because mainly because they were absolutely silent for about eighty five percent of the game and did what they always do, which is cheer very, very, very loudly when they score and sing for thirty seconds and then shut up again. And yeah, that was very frustrating. But on the other hand, it, it enabled us to. Um, have some pretty good banter with them, um, the, the few who were willing to speak up. And actually, we got um, a WhatsApp message from one of our mates um, who was in the stadium saying that, could we please be quiet? <laughs> yeah, and I, I noticed a lot on social media of, of praise from Liverpool fans, so fair play to those as well who were nice enough and honest enough to be able to say well done uh, to Palace supporters. Um I think it's a lot easier for them to do that after they've won a match. I'm not sure they'd do it if they'd lost. Is anything yeah. going to happen to Salah? Because honestly, I haven't been that frustrated with a player before. He just he gets away. It's not only this game where he would just um, every time one of our players looked at him, not even touched him, he was just acting like he got shot by a sniper. But there's been other games as well, like with other teams. So is is anything going to be done, well, or are, are they going to just let him play as he as it is and continue cheating? Well, you. Well, you want to dive into this right now? We can do. I've not got a problem with that. Um, yeah, let's go. It's, you know what, um, there's, there's so many different... Um, so I, I had about four or five different types of argument going on at the same time with this because, you know, I just... I, my, my tweet was to tweet, um, obviously, someone who put the video up and I, I retweeted them and my comment was that something has to be done about this. Um, that's pretty much all I was saying that there's no really excuse in that. So I've had Liverpool fans saying that Salah was kicked to the ground. He wasn't. I've had Liverpool fans saying he's been, he was off balance because Sacco pulled his shoulder back. Well, his body weight's going the other way and his feet stopped working. So I, I don't buy that. And, you know, obviously you've got the delay. And then you had Liverpool fans sending me pictures of when Wilf was running at full pace, went to avoid a challenge, fell over, got straight back up and didn't even look behind him. And they're, and they're saying that was a dive. And then obviously you see the footage of one of Milner's bookings where Liverpool fans in their, in their lower tier on the right-hand side there just getting up screaming, doing the diving motion at him where he's got absolutely smashed to the ground and, and got a deserved yellow card. So, um, 
it, it's very, very difficult to sort of pin down exactly. They don't even seem to be completely sure of what they're defending. And that's the problem I have with it, because when you look at players who are running at pace and even when they're not touched, they're anticipating a challenge, you can understand them falling down. But when somebody's just stationary in the box and is effectively twisting and turning and feels contact and then it registers in his brain two seconds later that he had that contact and he kicks his legs out from underneath him, that's cheating. So in my view, I very much doubt anything will happen. Um, and I'm glad he didn't get the penalty. Um, and, I'm, and I'm very glad that the Palace players took him to task on it. But, you know, it, it, I don't know how you stop it. I mean, Sam Allardyce on goals on Sunday this week was sort of going, well, you, you know, you, you, you can't stop it really. And if you, if you ban players for that, then you'll be taking the best players out of the game. And I just thought, you know, what a defeatist attitude that is. We have to accept that the best players will cheat. They're, they're the players who least need to cheat, surely. The, the problem I've got with it, um, and this is what happens when Nias got booked uh, or got, got done after he dived against us last season, is that it wouldn't be us benefiting from it. It, it would be the teams that are playing Liverpool next. Um, so in order for it to be stamped out, I feel like um, something needs to happen where you instantly get an advantage as the team that's had this happen. Um, and it did really frustrate me, especially because you remember back to earlier in the season where we lost 1-0 and that was from a penalty that came from yeah. him diving. So it's not like Liverpool fans wouldn't know that, you know, there was history there. And the only ones I saw were saying, well, you know, you've got Wilf. And in fact, when I was watching back the Sky highlights, they even mentioned it. And I thought, well, you know, we've on this show, we've, we've put MacArthur to task for diving because he has done at least twice this season, I can remember. And we don't want that. Um, you know, so we do have players ourselves that, you know, we, we give stick to. But that was just pathetic. You know, there was a good second before he fell over. I remember doing that when I was in about year five, you know, and the, the referee would pick me up then in a, in a primary school game and say, you know, you, you're not even diving well. Well, he, he didn't. And it really frustrated me. But you got to remember that, um, you know, football is a tribal thing. So it's a bit like, you know, you can't argue with a Liverpool fan on the day of a game about... Salah diving because you know they're just they're automatically going to stick up for him you're never going to change their minds this is you know it's a bit like just going through Twitter and reading endless Remainers and Brexiters discussing stuff it doesn't get you anywhere very frustrating but ultimately I'm not I'm not sure it's what was the difference in the game so you know if it had been a penalty I would have been a lot more I've got a solution for this kind of I think in uh, non-league sides there's now there's now a rule that you can temporarily send off someone for like 10 to 15 minutes. So I'm thinking with the introduction of VAR and uh, you can combine both of them rules together. So as in Salah's case yesterday, it seemed a bit too easy the way he went down. So you can temporarily send him off for like 10 to 15 minutes and then afterwards he can come back into play for um, trying to technically dive. I don't know. That's a long shot though. But something like yeah, that. Yeah, this. this- this the sin the sin bin system that uh, obviously from, from rugby, but look, I, I I'll, I'll be honest, I, I find it quite difficult because I think there's there's enough there are some clear dives like that is a clear dive, but I think the majority of diving cases are very, are very difficult ones to call. You know, as to you you got so many different questions to answer. That you know, the first is you know, for, for, so first of all, a foul doesn't have to 
result in contact to be a foul. Okay, and I think the trouble is a lot of people seem to be arguing that a player should continue their natural running action into a sliding challenge and have a, to to kind of initiate this natural contact where. In, in reality, if you're running at pace and someone slides across you, you, you've got to try and get out of their way. But if in doing so, you're losing control of the ball and losing an opportunity and the defender has got nowhere near the ball, then, then that's a foul. But people, but that won't get given unless the player goes to ground. So you, ha- you have that problem. So there's, there's, a, there's a degree of responsibility from the officials to understand what a, what a foul is and from fans to understand what a foul is and understand how replays, you know, do twist how things look, particularly when things are slowed down. So there's a lot to be talked about there. Then all of a sudden, you've also got intent as well, because I, you know, I don't know about you guys. You've, I'm sure you've, you know, you've all played football in, in various ways, <laughs> to various degrees. And you know, sometimes when you, you take a heavy touch and you knock the ball away, you kind of just drop to, drop to your feet as well. You're not looking for a foul. You just can't. Oh God. I know I used to do that to stop having to run. I just used to fall over. It's just just easier. Um, you know, when, you, when you've just taken that heavy touch, you know you're not going to get to the ball. And, and that happens as well because you see players go down and get accused of diving. And you think, actually, do you know what? He's not looking for anything. He's just he's just, he's just grounded. So you've got that problem. And then you've got the problem where the dives, are, if they are dives, are really, really clever and well done and well timed because they've seen that the contact will happen if their leg's in a certain position, and they put their leg there. And the trouble is, you the second you end up banning or sin binning or whatever a player for diving when they're just like, I haven't, I haven't dived. You know, Will's been booked two, three, four times for simulation, and I'm pretty sure, again, through through the bias of being a Palace fan, I would argue that not one of them's been a dive. Yeah, you could say that, but I think diving is just not about now, it's about the future as well, because nowadays... I have to admit, when I do watch uh, football um, or play football with uh, people around my age group or younger, um, it's the fact that diving is now seen as normal. Like people actually want to dive. Like when, when we play football, there's actually people that just go to the ground and have a laugh about it. And I feel like that's due to what they've seen on TV. Like kids nowadays, from seeing players dive, is seen as something fun. And in the future, that's going to affect the game football in a massive way because there's going to be so many people who's going to be brought up diving and they're going to think that it's normal. That's why for the players that do, I'm not, okay, we can argue Salah's one, or was it a dive, was it not? <clears throat> Sorry, my throat. It was it a dive, was it not a dive? <laughs> you can argue <laughs> that, but um, in, in general, in diving in football, I don't think the punishment has, uh, like it hasn't been harsh enough and he has to go, like they need to change the rules. I think, look, look, you know, to get to the point, I think, you know, something, someone like Salah who's doing it week in, week out, I think that there is a case to answer there and, and something does need to be done. And I, I don't know what that is, and that's for the FA to sort out. Um, but, you know, I understand what you're saying, dear. You know, lots of people do do copy what they see on a football pitch. You know, for example, um, when, from the period when I had to watch Gareth Taylor play up front for Crystal Palace, I lost the ability to score goals. Which was so, I was having a debate Palace. in the pub last night with... Um, a mate who's not necessarily a Palace fan, but has a soft spot for us. Um, and, you know, we got quite heated, actually, because, you know, I, I was trying to make the distinction between someone who has dived and a diver. Um, 
And, you know, effectively for me, the point being that if there's an evidential basis of a habitual pattern of behaviour, that's fine to call someone a diver. And his contrast with that was, well, if someone kills someone, they're a killer, aren't they? So, I mean, I I think that's a ridiculous um, way of summing things up. Um, And I kind of wanted to just prove my point by um, not naming but shaming him on air through this means. But... um, the, the 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 point I'm making is, you know, I, I think what the the problem that we've got is that in terms of dealing with it through rules, is that you need to codify that in some way, and that would for me, I mean, is that about individual incidents or is that actually about trying to identify the pattern of behaviour, and how do you do that? I don't know the answer, but yeah, that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely a difficult one. But, I mean, let's face it, there were yellow cards for people diving. And Mo Salah didn't get a yellow card for that. People will say that's because he didn't claim the penalty, but he was very quick to argue against the fact. And he got away with the previous um, he one. He dived um, when the Palace... C- correct. So, you know, I I don't know. You know, I, I think we've got to remember, we're talking from a point of view, talking about Salah. Liverpool fans are saying, oh, it's an agenda against Salah. If there's any team that doesn't have an agenda against them in the media and with match officials and the Premier League in general, it's Liverpool. So th- those complaints fall on deaf ears. But, you know, you can't help but draw the parallels with Zaha, where we we feel that we know he's incredibly hard done by to have that reputation. And I, and I would fear, genuinely fear, that, you know, he would be the first player on our team penalised under any system that comes just because of that reputation. So it's a difficult tightrope to walk, and I'm sure we'll all come back to it in the future. A couple more bits of content before we get into the review. Mr. Cabris Parrot got in touch with us. He said, the finishing yesterday was clinical. Have we finally learned how to shoot? Hey, we were clinical against Man City as well. We finally learned how to shoot against top six sides at their ground. Uh, that's what we've done. Uh, look, it was very, very promising, and I think perhaps our third goal the most promising of all, but, um, you know, three shots on target, three goals. If you go back to our, our discussions last week, Allison is exactly as good as Hennessy on that basis. In fact, worse because he conceded more goals. Um, but hey, look, it was, look, I, I'll just say on that one, it's promising and, 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 you know, not, not too much more to add on that one. And finally, Mark Drew got in touch. Um, you know, again, the second part of his question is that he's, uh, he said there was lots of uh, courage at Liverpool, but again, no points. And on that basis, he's asking, do we look at the teams below us catching us up uh, or are we able to climb the table? Uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm strangely confident that we're, we're not in danger of relegation, but the next few games will certainly uh, inform that position a lot better. Well, look, after Fulham lost today, uh, really unluckily against Spurs, and I say the good thing that came out of that game is it looks like Deli Ali's got a hamstring. So, you know, they're now missing him as well, which is great for next week. Um, but, you know, Fulham are on 14 points, Huddersfield are on 11. You know, they're both on course for a very, very low point. So we're, we're, we're really talking about one other team to go down. Um, so unlike last year when it was, you know, all much more up in the air, um, it's looking like things will settle down. So only in the respect that we've, there's a lot of teams on 22, um, Otherwise, I, I don't think we'd be looking down. It's just, it's just more. There's a, a real congestion around our area, and it'd be nice to, you know, not, you know, not finish 17th. It'd be nice to finish more mid-table again, like, like last season. I agree with all of that, except that Southampton are looking pretty good, and we play them in a week and a bit, um, and that is 
worrying in in my opinion. I mean, we, we may well go there and get a result, and that'd be great. But I think that's going to be a challenge. We've obviously got then got games against the teams around us again, and you know we we we've given ourselves problems with some of those missed opportunities earlier in the season where we didn't win games we should have done. Hopefully, you know, I mean, looking at this style, this style of play that we saw um, yesterday, that's going to set a different pattern going. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk about that in the match analysis about, you know, the, the advantages. But if we start taking the chances, as Mr. Cadbury's Parrish just said, then, you know, I, I think we've got nothing to worry about and we should be looking to overtake Brighton and other teams above us. I don't think it's only Southampton. Burnley have turned it, about, uh, turned it around as well. Um, they've gone a little... Uh, run as well. Um, they've beaten Fulham, they've beaten Huddersfield and they've also beaten West Ham. And I think that's the main worry with Palace is the fact that we have to beat them teams, which we have struggled to to, to do in the past. Yes. So it really does depend on that. Can we now beat the team, beat West Ham's and beat Southampton when we face them? Because if we do, then I have no worries because I still feel Cardiff and even though Newcastle have got talent and got a very good manager, they have struggled feel like them two sides are still worse than us but we need to beat teams around us which we haven't done and we can't only rely on beating top six sides no I I agree with that and look we have I think the teams that you've mentioned I think you know Huddersfield Fulham Cardiff Newcastle uh, who was the other one (laughs) my brain hurts Newcastle thank you I think those are the teams that I don't expect to, to finish above us at all other than that, I think it's something of a free-for-all in, in the Premier League um, up until you get to the top sort of eight. Um, so f- for me, that I think I guess that's why I'm not worried. But like I say, I think every, every, all the points you're making, I, I think, are fair. Um, and, you know, if, if in the next few games we, you know, if you look at the Cardiff game as an example after we beat City, where we only got a point, and yeah, we didn't lose, but, you know, we really had to win that game to to properly emphasise how good a result City was. So, similarly, if we follow a very good performance against Liverpool with, you know, our next league game not scoring and getting a point maximum, then all of a sudden, you know, it, it starts to feel bad again. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to get dragged down into that negativity too much because I, I do think, and a lot of people have said this, I've, I saw it on social media a lot, which is where, it's a bit they've they've sort of laid into Roy a little bit, and this is not just Palace fans. There's some general comments about this. You know, they're saying, "What on earth are, are Palace doing down where they are? Why, why has Hodgson convinced people that that just surviving relegation is acceptable with that team? You know, and, and I I can see a point there. I'm not quite as I've said it a lot myself. Funnily enough, that I think the you know the the lack of depth or talent in our squad that keeps getting mentioned and how well Roy's done with what he's got I think it's something of a myth to a, to a degree but by the same token I I don't think we're a, you know a top 10 side with what we've got either I think that we, we I think again you just have to point to up front don't you where we're, we're not putting the ball in the net enough and you can say that's the system rather than the players and we have looked at that quite a lot as well but um, I think, to be honest, that's that's the point that's in debate there. We're just like a number of other teams there. There, there are so many teams in the Premier League from at least tenth downwards who are all thinking, you know what, we're not doing as well as we should do. You know what, this manager's not getting the best out of these players. You know what, we're inconsistent. And I think it's a common thread through teams who are trying not to be in that relegation battle and are trying to get themselves to this holy grail of being an established Premier League side. It's um, 
it's not easy. I think we're, we're just experiencing that really. But great questions. Thank you, everybody who got in touch. I know we've got some more from Facebook. We're going to get those now. Mike, or should we delve into the review and do those later? Well, let's go for them now. So, Neil Koska, and this probably carries on from that one. So proud to be at Palace, even though we lost. I love this club because we rarely do dull. Well, that's definitely the case. Um, preview pod, uh, I think they were... Terence predicted a 1-0. I, yeah, I thought it would be something like that. So it certainly was a lot better than that. We're so, so close to a complete team. If we have to forego getting in anyone this window so that we can invest properly in the summer, be good. Yeah, I think I could take that. Yeah, well, yeah, excellent point. Uh, we've got Tony Stewart. Realistically, how long can we hold on to Wan-Bissaka? Uh, <coughs> that's, yeah... Considering the rumours this week about uh, Chelsea United and Man City all being keen, I think we all realistically probably think the summer. I don't know about the rest of you. I think it's, it's a really tough question to answer, isn't it? I know Roy went on record as saying, oh, he's, he's, you know, he's got a four-year contract. We're not letting him go anywhere. But, you know, a contract, you know, we all know what that means in football. It just means someone's going to actually have to pay the money. But I think the teams that are being mentioned as being interested in, in Wan-Pazaka and I'm, and I'm absolutely sure 100% that that is the case that all the big teams are looking at him um, if they really want him they have the funds to be able to do that and um, I don't doubt for a second that a player in his position would have his head turned by that and I think you know we could easily be pushed into a into a sale this summer well as long as we stay in the Premier League I have no worries that we can keep him I think he'll stay longer than Wilf will, uh, will. I think Wilf I won't be that surprised if he does end up leaving this summer um, to move elsewhere. However, his performances, you could argue, um, doesn't really match to his value where we apparently ask for 60 million because he hasn't performed as well in terms of goals and assists so far this season. But I would, I, I just don't think we'll sell wan I think he's our future now. If we do get r- rid of Wilf, um, we just have that star man. But of course, he's an outsider of the pitch. He's in defence, so... Um, I'm not that worried about losing Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Vince Flynn, fuck me. That's not a swear word. We scored from a corner. Things are really looking on the up. I guess we'll get into that, but that's only the third corner we scored this season. And one from left field from Ryan Corbett. Any updates on the new stand? Ryan, I know of none whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, I don't believe there is anything at all. You know what? I mean, going back to when it was announced... Uh, all the talk was that it would be um, this summer that they would they were intending um, to start the initial works, whatever those initial works might be. But um, I've not heard anything more no. of it being through the. It was sort of given a rubber stamp by the council, but I think there's still a signing of it to do by the mayor or something like that. Yeah, last time I heard Paris sort of it, the words he said sort of made me think that it's not it's not ready to go yet. So I can't see it being this summer. If I can jump in on that, I think um, one thing you'll find is that um, with big planning developments like this, you have to sign what's called a Section 106 agreement, which is basically where uh, you agree to fund infrastructure for the surrounding community. And I don't think that's been finalised yet. And I think that may be one of the things that's slowing things down, negotiations on that. You're much, much more than a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's going to be? A st- well, I'm just not a pretty face. You think that's going to be a sticking point, Chris? What do you reckon? 
Uh, well, Paris drives a half bargain. We all know that. So let's let's see. I hope not. Okay, good stuff. Right. Well, that we've nearly done an entire show on just the listener questions. So, um, so we'll have to be re- fairly rapid with our with our match review, which is a shame because there's an awful lot in there uh, to talk about. But um, you know, look, it is what it is. We'll we'll get onto the goals, uh, and maybe a couple more incidents are in that. Um, just to give you a quick summary of how I saw the game. I felt we had a bit of a shaky start, and you know Liverpool's much fabled Gagan press uh, it forced a lot of passing errors and, and a lack of meaningful possession in the opening exchanges. But we became that little bit braver, and at our bravest moment launched a brilliant counter attack that gave us that one 0 lead at half time. Uh, at the start of the second half, Klopp he just made a little adjustment at half time that pushed the fullbacks about ten yards further up the pitch. That uh, really sort of exploited what we had been doing in the first half, which was the back four were very, very narrow. And in seven minutes, they were 2-1 up. Deflections playing a huge part in both goals, of course. So we rallied valiantly after that. Uh, an excellent set-piece routine. Saw Tompkins head powerfully into the net for 2-2. Unfortunately, it was a Julian Speroni howler uh, that let the Scousers in for a 3-2 lead. And despite Milner's red card, Liverpool extended that lead in controversial circumstances. Uh, before Max Mayer got his first Palace goal with a late consolation. So there you go. There's a bit of a summary for you of how the game went. Uh, a few little st- uh, sort of, um, not stats, but things from the game. And then we'll get into the uh, into the review. So that was, uh, that was our, we were the first Premier League team to score more than once at Anfield since February 2018. And that was a Tottenham 2-2 draw with Liverpool. Uh, Julian Speroni, at 39 years and 246 days old, became the oldest player to make a Premier League appearance this season, um, and the oldest player to appear. He was the oldest player to appear in the competition since Shea Given, at 40 years old and 151 days, uh, played in September of 2016. Wilfred Zaha's assist for Palace's opener was his first goal involvement in his past 14 league games. Just to make the point, there he won the penalty against Wolves, so that's not true. Palace's Andros Townsend scored his fourth league goal of the season, equaling his best Premier League campaign, which was in 2015-16, which was also four. So Andros in and amongst the goals this season, looking for his best ever Premier League return. There we go. So before we get... Oh, DR wants to talk. Oh, no, you can go ahead. It's fine. Yeah, all right, good. Because you know what, DR? It's time for me to introduce the best feature in the world, um, although it's only had one airing. And let's just say the... Well, the quality remains to be consistent. Uh, but here, it's DR's Stat of the Week. DR's Stat of the Week, sponsored by Dr. Pepper. It's that time again. It's time for Stat of the Week. So, Palace have scored as many goals at Anfield and the Etihad as they have at home all season long. Thanks to Sam Pilger for that um, stat. DR's Stat of the Week, sponsored by Dr. Pepper. DR's stat of the week has no affiliation with Dr. Pepper. DR was not aware they even still produce Dr. Pepper. He claims that nobody drinks Dr. Pepper, especially people from South London, and that drinking Dr. Pepper is a thing of generations past. This is not the view of Back of the Nest in general. Other soft drinks are available. DR's view should always be taken with a pinch of salt. True or false, we struggled to score at home due to differences in tactics in home and away games. Hambo. True or false. Um, I think it's true, but it's not the only factor. Okay, so... We do, we do have a different tactical setup at home than we do away. We're much more likely to try and play on the counter. And that obviously works a lot better because most teams that we play have more of an emphasis on attacking at home. 
which is weird because we don't always have that same emphasis ourselves. So I think that's a factor. But for me, it's much more about how opposite the opposition come and play at Sellers Park. Uh, I think our, I think we've all seen it this season. We clearly have issues breaking teams down when they put numbers back, and any opposing manager would have seen that consistently over at least the last year, if not longer. So clearly their first port of call in thinking about what kind of a game plan to put up against Palace will be packing the area. So I think it's a, it's a great stat, DR. I have to say praise praise this week because who would have thought we'd, we'd score three at the Etihad and three at Anfield in the same season? It, it, incredible stuff. Well, look, we, we also conceded six in those two games. Um, we can, and we've boo, kept... boo! Stop being negative. <laughs> but in comparison to the the home games, where well, we've kept eight clean sheets, so um, I wouldn't necessarily say that those tactics are are better because it's very shaky Premiership tactics to to think that you can try and score one more than the opposition. It you'd seen plenty of teams try it, and unless they have serious budgets, it it doesn't work. So. Um, I'm not sure it's a more effective tactic. Um, we've seen that sort of four-five-one formation uh, work well, and we've seen it be absolutely abysmal as well. Um, so uh, I think it's good that he's mi- mixing the tactics up. Uh, and I did, I did quite enjoy uh, watching the game. But if you stuck with it the whole time, I think it would get stale pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the interesting difference is, and as we were talking about it earlier, is. Is, is how well we put the chances away um, in both those games. Um, and you, you can certainly argue that Andros is a, a kind of one in a million kind of goal. But, um, it, you know, the, the goals against Liverpool were, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great move for the first. It's a great move to win the corner for the second um, and a great set piece to score it. Um, and when you actually look at the move for the third as well, what a fantastically worked goal that was as well. So it's interesting for me to show that we can do it. It's just how, how we replicate that level of creativity, that level of play in an environment where our opponents aren't leaving quite as much space. Well, I mean, the, the second goal could blatantly happen regardless of your tactics. You know, it could be Tony Pulis and it works. And I've got to bring up, um, I hadn't noticed it originally until I've watched it back. Jordan Ayew on the second goal um, holds holds off. He kind of shepherds uh, Van Dijk and Matic. He just holds them to stop them moving. Um, he just sort of puts his arm around them like Andre the Giant style. Um, and they can't get back uh, for Tompkins. So uh, huge respect to Ayew for that because I hadn't noticed it originally. And they didn't bring it up on, on Match of the Day or anything like that. But it's worth watching again if you get the chance. Um, it's, it's, they did they did the the detail on it on goals on Sunday actually um, right okay uh, picked it out nicely and um, it is, is exactly that he had his arm around the waist of Van Dyke and he just moves him under the flight of the ball and you can see Van Dyke you know and again you can say that that is a foul but I think all of the the guys on goals on Sunday were saying what a good move it was because the key thing there is Van Dyke doesn't do anything about it he's not he's not actually in the physical battle there so all this talk yeah. about how great Van Dyke is and he. You know, he's lost a, a physical battle to Jordan Ayew there. We should be praising Jordan Ayew and, and in fact, are. So, yeah, yeah abs- I agree with abs- that. Absolutely. Um, but, but more than that, you know, okay, that's the third uh, corner we've scored from this season. Well, you know, let's build on that. Um, you know, the, the home the home games, that, that could happen all the time. The, the third goal 
came in because we were being quite expansive, uh, a bit different. You know, it probably wouldn't happen at home quite so much. First goal, well, it was it was a decent break in exactly the kind of way that we've been doing at Selhurst all year. So let's not overestimate that. You know, it's a little bit of a coincidence that we've scored this many goals at those two games. It could have been any other game. Um, it just, it, you know, it just happens to be that they're the two top two sides. Well, it's something that we definitely have to look at. Um, I think we have the second worst home record in the Premier League. Uh, only Huddersfield have picked uh, up less points at home. Uh, we have the second worst <laughs> goal scoring record at home in the Premier League. Only Huddersfield have scored less goals than us. And if you look at the Premier League position, Huddersfield are not in a good position. So it's, it's, it is worrying. I think um, tactics do play a part. But also, um, I don't know, I think the team that we do face also is a major factor as well. It seems like uh, when we face top six um, sides, the players seem more up for it as well as the tactics are different. So I think both the combination of um, us being not as well drilled tactically going forward when we play at home, that plays a part, but also the players' mentality as well, I think. Well, just, just yeah, remember exactly. the Chelsea game, though. That's, that, it didn't happen against Chelsea. Mm, yeah. No, but Dios, Dios used, used the right word there. I was exa- it was exactly the word I was going to mention after we finished talking, and he did it. So, uh, well played there, mate. It's the mentality thing. I think it's interesting to note the the, the, the difference in mentality, perhaps. Again, we're, being, we're speculating, but for me, I, I think going away where you're expected to get nothing and, and playing well and I think that kind of breeds its own confidence in that match. And I think perhaps when we're at home, there's that increased expectation, that increased pressure. I think perhaps it shows a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a fault in the mentality of the team there, or at least in, I think at times we're almost too relaxed at home. We, you know, we're too, I think the message that comes, this is just a, again, this is based on what you see and how the body language of the players and how the games are panning out. I think Roy does a very good job of of pushing the players to be relaxed and explaining to them that you've got to have patience, not not let it get to you if you miss a chance, all that kind of stuff, which is all good advice if you're not missing tons of chances and you're failing to score at home. I think it might be an idea to send them out before the last 10 minutes with a little bit of a, a flea in their ear, a little bit of a, you know what, get yourselves 2-0 up in the first 10 minutes and then you can be patient and you can, you can chill out and, uh, and play at your own pace and dictate the game. But if you're doing that at nil-nil, you're opening yourself up to conceding something on the break or or just failing to score entirely and, and missing out on a, on a three points you perhaps should get. And I think that's where we're... That's the that's the mentality issue. That's where I think we struggle at home. But again, it is purely speculation. It also does depend who you're playing, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that What the game plan is going to be could and should vary from game to game. And that's obviously been our criticism has been in recent, the last couple of months has been that Roy has been too inflexible. We're saying that correctly, I think that there has been uh, some changing up now and that that is appears to possibly be uh, bringing a different set of outcomes, which, you know, is a positive thing. Um, Everyone, as I recall, certainly quite a lot of people were quite downbeat after that Chelsea game. Um, But actually, I mean, if you think to when it was that we actually conceded, you know, as I recall, um, if that's if in that kind of setup, if you do have one break, score a goal, it could have been a very similar pattern to 
the game we had against Liverpool. I know that we didn't really see that in that Chelsea game because we we didn't, didn't in the end get that break, but we did hold the game quite well until we conceded, which was some way into the game. So you know, I mean, while people criticise the negativity, I think that had a had a purpose and it could have worked. Yeah, I think again, sorry, Dale. I think the issue is let's not go back and review the Chelsea game. Yeah, when sorry, we're struggling to build real time for the Liverpool game. But you know, look, that that just that just goes back to what we're talking about in mentality. I think we had a very different mentality against Liverpool. And look, and I totally acknowledge that certainly the last couple of games we've seen, you know, two three games we've seen some real differences in how we've set up. We've seen a, a change to this four three three and. It almost became a four-two-three-one at times, and we'll talk about player positions in a sec. But I just thought, you know, again, you know, it's almost it's almost like Roy's listening. So if you are Roy, glad to have you on board, mate. Um, come come on the show and tell us why we're all idiots. Um, you know, it'd be nice to hear it from someone of your level of experience. I'm only kidding though. <laughs> I doubt he wastes his time listening to our show. Um, but, but, um, no, it's been I've been really encouraged in the last few games. I know it didn't seem like it last week. That I was. I think we were all very down about losing to Watford, but. You know, it, it was it was nice to see. You know, you see how we lost against. You know, effectively the the result is the same. Chelsea versus Liverpool. You know, we we lost by one goal, and I, you can see the difference between losing the way we did against Liverpool and the way we did at home against Chelsea. And I think it's just easier to take when you've seen what we did against Liverpool. So here you go, Dr. Nice and quick, and then we'll get onto the, the game plan. No, we just we want the listeners to get involved as well. So let us know what you think by tweeting us at Back of the Nest. Is it Pete the Eagle? Is it mentality? Is it tactics? <laughs> let us know. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> Obviously, it's not live, DR, so that we'll have to cover that next week. Remember when it used to be live? I hope you're not still thinking it is. Otherwise, no, but they can let us know and we can engage no, they, on social media. You're, no, you're absolutely right. You can, they can. I can. I was just making sure that you knew that it wasn't live. I just yeah. I know oh, that. Just wondering, all, all, all this, just wondering all this time that you thought we were still on live. Well, no, no, I'm fine. I'm not. I told you, no more mental breakdowns this year. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. All right, good. Um, it's a shame because I enjoy your mental breakdowns on air. They're my favourite things. Um, okay, so I did I did share a few images with the, the team earlier on. Some of them might have looked for them, some of them might have not. But one of them, <clears throat> and thank you to, uh, to Liam for chucking this my way. Yesterday, when I was in the middle of arguing with Liverpool fans, because it was very interesting to see. There's a few, there's a few um, uh, bits, sort of statistics from this page that you sent me. But the one I was particularly interested in was the positions and passing network for for us against Liverpool. So you, you can really see the average position. So I was there's a couple of things I wanted to pick out. So in midfield, um, 
it's Coyote and MacArthur who are who are sitting deep, and Luca's the one who actually gets further forward most, which was odd because when you sit in terms of average position, this is. Um, so it's quite interesting to see, but Coyote and Luca are almost on top of each other in the midfield there. But what's really apparent is how the entire t- so Zaha is the furthest forward, very much left side. Um, the next furthest forward is Ayu, very central, and Townsend's average position was b- below, you know, um, below the halfway line on, on the right hand side. So it shows you how the team was kind of having to cope with Liverpool, but also what we were looking to do in the attack. And pretty much every player's passing network comes right to left towards Zaha. Uh, we used him as a focal point against Liverpool. We got him up against um, Milner in, in the right-back position, and we tried to do it as much as we could through him. And I think it's no coincidence that that was one of his best games of the season. Um, I, I thought he was terrific against Liverpool and Klopp, uh, picked him out as a, as an excellent player, called him world class, and I think that perhaps was the uh, the biggest indication of what our game plan was. But I think it was it was it's excellent to see just how well drilled we were. I mean, everybody very much in their in their right position. The gaps were really really close, and you know we 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 took risks in the right area. We let we let Wilf go a little bit, let him have that that sort of freedom of the left-hand side and didn't ask him to do too much defensively. Now, you could argue that's why we we had the issues where PVA got called out a couple of times, and probably there's a bit of truth in that, but very, very encouraging for me. Well, I think in the first half, what we did do is, um, if you look at um, Robertson and, and James Milner, what the, um, they were constantly were trying to go out wide and get balls into the box, but Andros Townsend in particular that um, surprised me was that his body position was in a way that they Robertson can't run out wide. And every time he did, wan had done a fantastic job, but we're limited to them. We wanted them to play in midfield. And I think it makes kind of sense why Ayu was back and Wilf was the most uh, the player that was most forward because everyone was back in midfield and we're trying to make it compact for them. And the difference was that in the second half, we, we just stopped doing that. And they went out wide and that's how they caused all trouble. So I think... That's that's where the game really changed. Um, in the second half, there were more urgency and we kind of let that slip. Um, whereas in the first half, we were so good pushing them into central areas. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right. But I think you're right. But as I said earlier, I think the reason it stopped was just that the starting position of the full-backs was 10 yards further up the pitch um, from, from Liverpool. And that was a very good tactical change at half-time. And realistically, what can you do about it? I mean, Townsend was still in the right position on the right-hand side, but... Our only real option to deal with Milner on on Liverpool's right or left was to sacrifice our only attacking outlet as we break. So it's smart, and and I think the trouble is, and this is where it's very difficult to play against a really good side. If we do that, I think we lose the game anyway, and it becomes a much harder game to watch for us because we don't have the attacking outlet, we don't have a way back in the game, we don't have a way to relieve pressure. So I think we did the right things. We were just ultimately overwhelmed and. In, in, and it was just, like you say, key mistakes that, that cost us because we could have held out and we could have got, you know, if not if not all, a point, all three maybe, um, just by avoiding those those individual errors. That's a really good point about the, uh, the defenders having to move forward a bit. And that's probably got a lot to do with why they conceded three because, you know, they, they were well outside of their comfort zone. Um, the reason Milner took the foul was because, you know, he, he basically knew that uh, Zaha was through 
Um, but on the on the flip side of that, um, it meant that we were doing a hell of a lot of running, um, and I feel like that's why it sort of fell away a bit defensive-wise in the second half. Um, but you know, if we do that kind of thing against teams with a less decent defence, um, you got to say for the rest of the season it's looking pretty rosy. Um, you know, they're the, by far the most measly is miserliest defence in the league so to get them playing up like that, that that's that's a really good thing <laughs> sorry I'm just I'm laughing because DI had his hand <laughs> I, so I took so I took an opportunity to stick myself on mute and have a little go at my vape vape machine um, I still don't know what to call it the vape, vape master, machine yeah. It's, it's actually called a vaporesso. I might refer to it as that in the future. So I did that, and then obviously he puts his hand down, so I have a mouthful of vape, and I'm on mute. So what can I do? <laughs> Nothing. I can't do anything. Yeah, sorry. Scandalous. Um, in terms of the the, uh, the lineups, just one thing I wanted to mention, gentlemen, and you'll be unsurprised to know it's Max Mayer. Um, obviously, Jules had to play. There was no option there, and we'll talk about uh, Julian when we get to the individual performances in a very short while, but... Uh, again, a lot of, lot of attention on the fact that May is in there. For me, the only player that he can replace is MacArthur. And I've got to be honest, in this game, you know, as much as I want Max to play, and I and I think he can play in that in the system that we played against Liverpool. Funnily enough, in, in the you just have to have Luca uh, sort of further back and have Mayer, you know, sit in the centre and ask him to do a bit more defensive work. But it's pretty clear that the club have some concerns over his physicality. Um, and you know I'm not going to criticise it for this game. And it was nice to see him come on and get a, get a goal as well. But any any other opinions on that from the uh, from the team? I don't know why fans are always like before lineups and uh, when lineups are announced. I mean, why are they always like, oh, why is Max not playing it? And act surprised. It's clear Roy doesn't like Max. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you, as you mentioned, that might be due to physicality, but we don't know the main reason. But he doesn't like him. I, I think Max, if he did come in. Uh, Against the Liverpool game, he has played defense. He has played in defensive positions at Schalke, so it's not like he can't defend. Um, he may have given us um, more going forward, but then again, it's just. But McCarthy's got shrimps. Max got shrimps. I wasn't too upset that Max had started, but I'm just, I'm just surprised by the reaction of the fans every time the lineup is announced and Max ain't playing. Like I thought, fans will realize by now that Max is not favored by Roy. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's definitely true. But I can understand why people are frustrated. I think there's probably two reasons. One, Hodgson doesn't back him quite defensively. But I would have thought in this game, he was thinking, you know, we're not going to have an amazing amount of ball in midfield. Um, he's not, you know, he's, he's basically going to be um, a bit of a bystander, even if he does track back. So it's, it, he obviously fancies him more against teams he, we think were even more evenly matched or ones we expect to win um, and that's that's not the worst thing because it just sort of means that Maya can turn up and play in games that are maybe not so difficult so it doesn't kill his confidence and it's great that he came on and scored a goal um, but yeah I don't think anyone should be surprised he's not going to play in the 4-5-1 system he's not going to play in the 4-3-3 system unless we get an injury which I'm stunned we haven't got more of to be fair he has played in four five one system though. He played against Man City, but um, what game was it? Uh, I think there was a game of, or there's, oh, I can't remember. The, I think it was a Chelsea game where he um, Roy put Jeffrey Sloppin instead of Max. Like 
that that's just unacceptable. But Max for uh, Maka, it makes sense. But you can't put Jeffrey Slup and not put Max Meyer because Max is probably still better defender than Slup. All right, Chris, you wanted to go in there as well. Yeah, and, and actually, it partly was on the Schlupp thing. Um, I mean, one of one of my um, happier moments during the day was um, singing the famous Seven Up song, and other people joining in. Um, and that was when he was warming up and with a view to coming on. So yeah, had had a good moment with that. But on a serious note, talking about the actual game, um, I was. I mean, Maka looked tired again, and I know that's partly just had down to how he runs. And he didn't have a bad game, but he did tire, I thought. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean maybe maybe if we hadn't had the timings of the Speroni mistake, Schlupp was about to come on, I think a slightly more defensive shape at that stage might have changed things for the better. But you know, I mean this is all speculation and you can't can't be sure about that. But that's what I was hoping for and yeah, you know, we we were unfortunate with the way things worked out. On the seven up song. Uh, somebody did tell me again the other day that they were the one that invented it. And I feel like you, Chris, would have issue with that because um, you're taking credit for it as well. Oh, no, so, no, no. I, I didn't write it. I just love it. That's, okay. that's all. Okay. I'm definitely not claiming to have written it. Um, okay, so look, the person next to me uh, is is taking credit. Oh, sweet. B Block is taking credit for, for the initial creation of the song and was quite stunned that it had, uh, it had grown so quickly. <laughs> For the record, I hate it. Right, move on. Um, <laughs> so let's do a quick rundown of the goals um, and, and a couple of the key incidents. We've talked about some of them already and we won't do so. Again, the first incident really that I wanted to bring up was um, one that Liverpool fans have kind of hammered hammered throughout the course of uh, the post-match social media stuff and that's that Andros handballed it. Interestingly, the match of the day analysis said, yes, he did. I'm just wondering, is it only me who sees Cater trying to handball it, having his arm underneath Andrews Townsend's arm, and that's why Andrews Townsend's arm is there and hits, and the ball hits it? Or am I just seeing what I want to see? Yeah, you're seeing what you want to see. Fair enough. But but Cater's <laughs> reaching out for the ball. Andros isn't. They're, they're both trying to handball it, and Townsend is slightly better. <laughs> At the time, on, in the ground, I shouted handball, um, which, and that was because I thought it was quite clearly their striker. But obviously, I had the you know rose tinted glasses of being quite high up in the in the stadium. Fair enough. In either case, they don't deserve a penalty. Uh, so we haven't talked in in too much detail about the the Palace opening goal, um, and you know I, me- I mentioned that we we'd avoided the uh, the Gagan press. By being brave, it was you know really quite worrying at one stage because there was two players around MacArthur and he was quite got a lucky ricochet to keep hold of the ball, plays it back to Tompkins who knocks it to Luca, then back to MacArthur who switches it out to PVA, and then all of a sudden half the Liverpool team is in our half pressing nothing and we're halfway up the pitch, which is great. That is the perfect way to play out of the high press, um, and we executed it br- brilliantly. Wilf was absolutely screaming for the ball the entire time, as it was pretty much in the air from MacArthur's foot, switching it towards PVA. Because he knew he knew what he had to do to beat Milner. It's all just all about pace, just all about that sudden switch, that sudden acceleration that he has. Um, the, you know, the perfect touch past the player, brilliant pullback, and Andros, who's clearly been working on his finishing, 
uh, from playing up top quite a lot. It's a lovely finish, left footed into the bottom corner. And it was just a lovely way to score against Liverpool. It was a beautiful goal, the perfect way to counter their system. And uh, yeah, it, it gave us a lot of confidence going into half time. Yeah, I think that goal is very underrated considering the pressure that Liverpool um, gave to our defence. And I feel like if that was at home, that goal wouldn't have happened because the mentality of the fans, and me included, I'll just be like, kick it out. And I think that's the difference between when we're talking about start start of the week, um, scoring goals at home and away from home, is the fact that fans play a part as well because when fans are shouting at you, when there's 26,000 people shouting at you, clear it, clear it, then you clear it. But away from home, we don't have that. It's just it's mainly Liverpool fans. And I think that contributed massively. But it was a great counter-attack and finished by Andrew Townsend. Oh, you're right. And Terence tweeted similar as well. Yeah, it's, I'll go it from... It's, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm sorry. We, we as... We as a su- supporter group, we we are terrible at that. Um, we people, you know, want, want us to get rid. If you play a backwards pass at Sellers Park, you hear a groan. We get so anxious about daring to uh, to try and make the right call. But no, I think at different times we're probably all guilty of it as supporters of of having that anxiety, and it does transfer onto the pitch. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much it makes a difference, but. Perhaps you're right. Maybe we don't score that goal at home. I'm not sure. But whatever the case, it was an excellent goal. Look, we've talked about the Salah dive in detail earlier on, so we won't go over that. Sorry, Dave, I'll go on quick. Uh, yeah, quickly. Andres, this, it's a bit weird stat, but Andrew Townsend scored four goals uh, in a single season for the second time in his career. So that's a positive. He might score more than four, but it just shows that Andrew Townsend, he needs to do better in his finishing. I think that's what really makes him different from normal to what I like. To, and to another level, I think if he scores more goals, can I just say level. this proves that you don't like listening to me because I did say that earlier. <laughs> did you? Yeah, when I was doing my stats a little bit earlier, I mentioned that he'd scored four. We didn't mention it yet for the first time since 2015 16. So. Oh, 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 but look, you added a slightly different angle to it. I'm sure the listeners are extremely appreciative. <laughs> <laughs> so the 1-1 uh, obviously it's a long range shot from Van Dyke that uh, takes a clip off I think I can't remember it, it might be Tompkins who comes out to try and charge it down loops up and you've got this horrible moment where uh, you know Jules has played pretty well early in, in, throughout the first half and he does a, he gets that little bit of hesitancy and I genuinely think this affected him um, for, for the rest of the half really because he doesn't quite know whether he can come for that ball. I think he's probably right to make the decision he makes in the end that he can't. And it's just unfortunate. The defence is is moving out. And I think a split, if it, you know, at the point of the deflection, you know, you could, PVA is probably still just playing Seller onside, but certainly from the shot, um, you know, Seller's well onside. And it shows you you've got a player, a world-class scorer of goals who's anticipating that, that little something happening. Um, and that's where I've got to be brutal and say our defence needs to do a bit better. But it's still it's still very bad luck to concede that goal, in my view. Yeah, I just want to say on Spironi, I'd, I'd blame the defence because um, he he hedged his bets and he was covering the majority of the goal. Salah with an amazing finish right into the tiny spot that he, he backed himself uh, t- to slot it into. Spironi was probably thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to hedge my bets if he manages to squeeze it in that tiny area in the corner uh, fair enough and annoyingly 
I've got to admit that that was a pretty incredible finish from the outside of his boot. So, um, yeah, I can't blame Spironi. I think it's, it's PVA playing him on that I, I think is the main issue. I think the next goal, the two were shortly afterwards. If we're, we're not entirely sure to blame the defence in the first one. We kept, definitely can for the second. Uh, because the, the biggest fault in that is, is Firmino being able to walk into space in the penalty area. So the nearest player to him as he as he walks is Jordan Ayew. Now Jordan Ayew is not going to be defending in his own penalty area. So you know you've got Coyote, MacArthur, uh, Luca in midfield, and you've got the you know the, the centre backs, and you know Wan-Bissaka's got to look out to the right, obviously. But you've probably got a choice of four players who need to be switched on enough to mark a striker in the box. You know, with the greatest respect, that's their central striker unmarked in the box. And yes, he, he doesn't shoot. It doesn't hit a particularly good shot. It takes a deflection, so it, it, it's even more deviated away from the hand of Spironi. But you know that's that's the level. If you if you're going to play against a top team, and you're going to do as well as we did, you really have to look at the goals we conceded and say, you know what, we we didn't make them work hard enough for those goals. Um, you know they've they've had luck, but by the same token, that that second goal for me is a was a very poor one. To it's, it's it's a similar story to what happened at West Ham away. First half, defended well, and then second half, just let them score easy goals. Um, we could have done better, closing them down. Um, of course, it took another lucky deflection. So, luck wasn't on our way, and I, I always say this, you need a bit of luck to do well in the Premier League. And this game, we didn't have any, and you can see it, 4-3. But yeah, that goal was a poor one to concede, and that's, that's not Jules' fault. Um, there was a deflection there. I'm not sure about luck. If you if you if you watch back um, the the post match comments um, that they've put on the website from Zahar and then Sako, both of them are absolutely gutted. I mean, there's not there's not a there's not a hint of a smile or anything. You know, they don't even want to answer the questions. And both of them just said we should have done better. Um, and that that goal certainly sums up. You know they, they'll look back at that on Monday when they get into training. And they'll be absolutely gutted. Um, it, it wasn't luck. It was clearly you know that Liverpool, had, especially in the first sort of fifteen twenty minutes, absolutely um, run them ragged. And by the even by that point, they were clearly a bit mentally fatigued. But yeah, what, watching those go and watch those videos back. Zahar particularly, he's like, well, you know, we scored three. There's no way we should lose. Um, and they they were absolutely gutted, and they knew what they'd done wrong. I think they'll look at it a different way, of course. But as a, as a fan, if you look at the first goal, yes, poor defending, but if that was a ridiculous deflection, and yes, Salah done great, but still, if it like the, the way that the deflection landed at Salah, I think it's luck. And the second goal is another deflection, and maybe if it didn't deflect, maybe Sproni could have got something to it. I think I think luck definitely did play a part. Well, it did. It did. Do. Look, we haven't really got time to, to dwell on it too much. But you know, again, you've got to just say, as much as it's luck to land where he's st- he's still standing there, unmarked in the penalty area when it lands at him, and you've, you've got to ask the question every time uh, a player is is completely free in the penalty area, um, even though it was a shot, and even though it's deflected to him, you know, there, there's definitely questions to answer there, and I, and I do think less so that in the first goal than the second, but certainly for the second. Which of those two goals was it where um, there was the complete confusion about who was clearing it from on the goal line, um, just to the left of the goal? 
The first one. Well, that was the first that, one. Because yeah, that was indicative. I know, I know you know, we, we've kind of already talked about that goal, but I think we needed to cover that confusion. And I, I think that's why it got cleared to there, because normally you'd clear that away from the middle, not where someone can shoot. I know what you mean, but it just goes again to phases of play. You know, you're right. That was that was stupid, but you know that that indecision didn't help. And and but it's still to me, it's still indirect in terms of its responsibility for the goal. It, it certainly played a part because there's a sequence of events that happen afterwards. But if someone sticks with Salah, it doesn't happen. You know, if if players hold the line until they're certain, it's, you know, the balls out, the balls out and cleared, great. But we made the decision on the first goal to step out. Uh, if you don't all step out at once in a line, and certainly, you know, there's two goals where where PVA is walking out rather than pushing out. You know, th- those are the questions you got to ask yourself, and it's and it's the difference at top level. You know, you you get away with that in other divisions. You get away with those sorts of things, but you don't get away with that when you've got strikers who have scored. 40, is it 48 game, 48 goals in 49 games or something he scored for Liverpool? That's why he's constantly thinking about where he's got to be to score goals. And our defence needs to be constantly thinking about where he is and how we stop him. And if you if you let that go for a second, this is what happens, unfortunately. But look, we went 2-1 down and I was so, so happy with our response to that because I just thought at that stage, oh God, you know, we've done really well. We've, we've now lost the plot. You know, we've conceded two in seven minutes. It could just be, it could be an absolute hatful for them now. And we're going to be absolutely wiped off the face of the planet with them because they're just constantly at us and we don't know what to do. But we wrestled back a degree of control in that game, became an attacking force at, at different times and actually had some meaningful possession. And we've talked about the 2 2. We're not going to analyse the goal any further than we have, but it was great to get level. Um, but then it was a bit of, obviously, we've, had the, we've got the sucker punch of, a pretty, well, let's face it, it's a goal that shouldn't have been. Um, so again, we've talked about the fact that the, the full-backs are further up the pitch and it's Milner this time who's pointed for the ball in behind the defence. He's just, he scuffed the cross first time, but it's, you know, we've got to talk about it. It's it's a horrible, horrible error from Spironi. Um Unfortunately, we've left it till really late in the show, so we can't get into it too much. But just to address the comments where the immediate comments that Oh, if Wayne Hennessy did that, people would have crucified him. Yep. Yeah, they would, yeah. And Jules, to some degree, getting a free pass from some people. Yeah. You know what? We know why that is. <laughs> okay? Let's so not be stupid about it. We know why that is. Julian Speroni is a club legend, right? But bottom line, terrible mistake. But you can look at it th- this way. He has not played a competitive game for over a year. How you know we're we're using our third keeper? How many clubs even have a, have a keeper of that quality as their third goalkeeper? Not many. So he was always gonna. It, it you know Roy Hodgson called it right. He said it was a it was cruel. It was a cruel, cruel example of what can happen in football. You know he's a returning hero. He's worshipped by the fans. Had actually had a really good first half as well. But I don't know what he's doing. I really don't. I think he's he's come out and I think in his head. He realizes he's probably a little bit underneath the flight of it, so he's trying to pop it up back over the bar, but he's not in the right position to do that. And that just comes from not not playing, not playing at that pace, under that scrutiny, under that intensity. You know, yes, okay, he's thirty nine. Yeah, he's not the keeper he once was, but you know, he he would know better than anyone that 
he's just he's made a massive misjudgment. And for me, it comes from not playing football um, uh, anywhere near enough. Um, Shane. I think he was just going to catch it and it just realised that it bounced a lot higher than he thought it would be. But what really annoyed me about it, I was so desperate for them to say it had already gone over the line. And then Salah managed to get it with about one centimetre left and get another fucking goal. And you just like, well, at the very least, uh, you know, that would have been nice if he tried it and started celebrating and didn't get it. But no, he still got that one as well. I, I actually, you know, just in terms of the the incident itself. I do think you're right, Chris, that he was trying to tip it over and just misjudged it. And as you say, that's because he's off the pace, um, having not played at this level. It does give us an issue in terms of these, you know, these other keeper injuries. How long is it going to be before we've got someone else who can play? Um, I mean, there's obviously this, this talk of Lucas Perry coming on loan from Sao Paulo. If that is happening. I mean, do we think we'll play against Spurs in the cup? I, I, I really, you know, it's a big ask, isn't it, for him to walk into the club and immediately play? Um, look, I, I wouldn't be too unhappy with Jules yeah. carrying on in goal personally. People might call me an idiot for that, but but bottom line is, you know, he's not he's not a first choice Premier League goalkeeper anymore. But you know, it's always schlappy, isn't it? You know, it's a mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Am I the only one every time someone mentions Lucas Perry? I keep thinking of Beverly Hills 90210. Probably just me. No, no, me as well. All right, good, good. Glad there's at least two of us. Good stuff. All right, so um, so we're 3-2 down, gutted. Um, then we want to get sent off, so we get that little sniff of hope, but then we realise that we're against 10 men. So obviously we have got a great recent history about that. Liverpool do score a fourth to make it 4-2. Won't bother analysing it in much detail other than to say there's a clear handball from Robertson on the touchline. The officials have missed it. To be honest, I missed it um, the first few times. Um, such is life, eh? They go ahead, you know, Mane tucks it away nicely. Not a lot we can do about it. And obviously the game's dead. Like, but I, I just, if there's going to be one thing to say on that, the frustrating thing is obviously it took Tomkins' attention. He was like, oh, handball, handball. I mean, just like play to the whistle because that was that was very frustrating. He got himself out of position by by calling for it, um, whereas it looked as though if he hadn't have done that, he might have been able to get back. I mean, it's, it's micro-analysing it to the nth degree, but um, that was a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go along with that. Um, so, obviously, the, the, go on, Chris. Um, this is not an analytical point, but just an observation from the moment that that goal went in. You'd suddenly got, from silence, all of these mugs, tourists in half-and-half half scarves, jumping up and down and giving us two fingers. And we hadn't really abused them at all, all game. I, that really, really riled me. It was the only point where I, I got bitter was against that. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you've got to take it to some degree as a football fan going away for a moment. Yeah. There's not an awful lot of logic behind it. And, uh, yeah, there we go. So, look, you know, the positive point was we the last thing we did showed a bit of promise. Good ball up to Connor Wickham. Lovely touch to Max Mayer, who tucks it away nicely. Unfortunately, he didn't get to celebrate his goal, did he? had to run straight back to the, to the centre line, as, as you do in those circumstances to try and get that one last opportunity before the final whistle goes. We didn't. Lost the game 4-3. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm glad it was 4-3 and not 4-2 because it emphasised how well we'd done 
but didn't quite do enough to win to win the game because of those key errors at key moments, unfortunately. Uh, but a, a very positive performance, something I was sort of happy to watch, happy to be a Palace fan off the back of that. So heartening, but bottom line, as we sort of talked about at the top of the show, we do need points on the board. So all the good performances in the world, they don't mean anything if you don't get the points. And a really crucial few weeks coming up. So just to end with uh, Roy's comments. Um, so first of all, referring to Julian Sproni, he said there aren't many better club servants than Julian Sproni at any football club in the world. For him to make that kind of mistake was really unfortunate and put Liverpool undeservedly back in the lead. We've got to consider ourselves hard done by in that respect. I'm very proud of the team. We conceded some really unfortunate goals. The first one is a shot from 45 yards that loops in the air and Salah can touch it past the keeper. The second takes deflection and the fourth shouldn't be allowed because there's a clear handball. I thought we played extremely well and I'm proud of the performance. Disappointed for the boys. They've got nothing to show for their efforts and the first time in a fair few weeks, I've got nothing to disagree with at all in what Roy said. Um, I think those are very honest comments and they should echo the thoughts of many, many fans, if not all fans, I would have thought. So that was good stuff there. So thank you so much for your uh, your contact earlier on. So um, just a nod to the fact that after, after I say goodbye, we do have a quick chat with Ray Houghton. Uh, Jake Watson and I spoke to him ahead of the Liverpool game on Love Sport Radio on Tuesday. Um, and uh, yeah, some of that was about Liverpool match, but we got about 10 minutes of general com- conversation with Ray where he talks about his time at Palace and some great stories in there. So hope you enjoy that. Thank you very much for listening this week. Thanks to my panel and to Sam for producing. Of course, remember, you can subscribe to our show via your chosen podcast app so you don't miss a thing. We do three shows a week and subscribing is the best way to ensure you get everything. Uh, thanks to everybody who contacted the show. There are always too many to use every single comment that we get, but we do read it all. Um, and it does help us decide how the show comes together each week. Uh, so check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also visit backofthenest.com. Uh, we're back midweek, well, Tuesday night, 7 till 9 p.m. on Love Sport. Um, and then the preview show will be recorded either Wednesday or Thursday um, to preview the Spurs FA Cup game, which, of course, we will review after the match. Um, so thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. To say that we've got former Palace and Liverpool player uh, Ray Houghton on the phone now. Ray, good evening. Evening, TJ. Evening. Uh, thank you so much uh, for, for taking the time to, to speak to us tonight. We'll we'll jump straight in. Um, uh, with, with Crystal Palace this year, are, are you are you satisfied with, with how they've done? I mean, where they are right now? What twenty second? Uh, twenty two. Well, twenty two games played, twenty two points, four points clear of, of relegation. It's been it's been steady, isn't it, for Palace? Yeah, it's, a, it's been a bit, um, you know, one step forward, two back at times. You know, there's been signs where you think, yeah, they, they appear to be on a uh, chance of having a good run, and then they have a, a, a result that you don't expect. I mean, in recent times, you know, the draw with Carr, they've seen in one or two others, you know, they, they went to Wolves, got a great win, and, yeah, you know, Manchester City, they go there, fantastic 3-2 victories that they had, but... Yeah, in between that, there's been some not so great performances, and one of the things is, uh, Jake, is if you're not scoring goals, you're going to have a problem. And I was just looking; they're under a goal a game at the minute. You know, it's about point nine or something per goals per game that they're scoring in the Premier League, and that's where they're struggling because the general play has been okay, but you need to start 
scoring goals and making it much easier to win and taking a bit of pressure off the defence. Yeah, I mean, Roy Hodgson is, is a manager you would have come across and, and, and watched mm-hmm. for, for many, many years, Ray. And do, do you think that he has got the, uh, an ability to kind of change because the, the guys in the studio, we, we've been talking actually maybe for the last few weeks really about you know, not doing substitutions perhaps early enough and, and, and the formations, it's sometimes being a little bit rigid. And actually, they think if there was just these minor tweaks at times, it's a little bit more flexible, a little bit more open to change, Palace could be, p- p- be even better. I think one of the things with that is, though, I mean, one thing that Roy's got that we haven't is from you know, huge experience of being in... You know, management uh, as a as a as a you know, Premier League manager, England manager. You know, I, I've been at games and you, you think, oh, change the, the match, you change change the players, but there's no guarantee that's going to work. You know, that's as a fan, we're hoping that's going to work. He works for him. he works for him on a daily basis, so he knows exactly what we can and cannot do. And to be fair, I mean, he spent virtually no money. You know, and the club's been in dire straits for a little while as far as the finances are concerned. And, you know, I think he's done a good job because this Premier League's relentless. You know, you look at the other clubs, you know, spending 15, 20 million on players. Uh, he's not had that luxury. Uh, and I think with one hand tied behind his back, he's done a very, very good job. And, you know, it's all about getting results in the Premier League. And he's, he's doing a reasonable job at it. Ray, if I can uh, take you back to... Uh to the days where you joined Palace um, it was weird it was back in uh, back at a time where the transfer window ended in March um, yeah which was uh, oh god it makes me feel old I'll be honest um, <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, you joined in a very very odd season but it was very typically Palace of finishing fourth bottom but still being relegated um, <laughs> which was very good of us but you came into a, a quite a, a side in transition um, obviously I think Alan Smith leaving and, and Stevie Coppel coming back and um, some, some, you know, uh, a mix of youth and experience. But uh, you know, I'm not just saying this because you're on the line. I, I remember you coming in and being being a real class above and an excellent player for us straight away. What was it like coming into Palace at that time, leaving Villa? And- well, it, it was tough because obviously, you know, I, I came there when a time when they were, you know, trying to stay in the Premier League. You know, and it was very, very tough. And you know, I remember playing. In, I actually one of my first games was playing in the semi-final of the FA Cup against Manchester United. We took them to a replay. We actually should have won it. Because uh, in the first game, I remember I crossed the ball and Ian Dowie from about five yards out completely missed the target. <laughs> and if you'd have scored then, we were on to win the game, we'd have went, got to your final. And who knows, that might have uh, impacted our performances in the league as well. But it was very disappointing to go down. I think the last game we lost to Newcastle away. I think that was the, uh, the final nail in the coffin. And then we had to change around. First of all, it was Dave Bassett who came in. Uh, and Dave got us to a playoff final uh, when we lost to Leicester, when we should have beat them. Um, unfortunately, uh, Steve Clary scored a, a shinner when we went yeah. into the top corner. Oh, yeah. And then the following season, <laughs> Dave left uh, halfway through the season, I think, where Steve Coppel came in and steadied it, got us into the playoff final against Sheffield United. And we remember Dave Hopkins. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't a great game, but David Hopkins scored an absolute spectacular goal to get us back into the Premier League. I enjoy my time at Palace. I love the club. Good managers, good people, um, and it was just unfortunate. Yeah, I came, you know, quite late in the career, and you know, we, we, we had with the side that we had that went down with a lot of moved on. You know, like Coleman moved, Gareth Southgate moved on, and it really broke up the the heart of that side. And we had to go again the following season, so done remarkably well to make a playoff, and then got promoted the season after that. 
Uh, that's fantastic great memory there as well um brought it all flooding back for me <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, gareth southgate there obviously he spent a bit of time playing alongside him do you ever imagine he would be the england manager now when no he... i mean i i could tell an embarrassing story about gareth for the time i'm not going to oh you can you. ray no no i wouldn't do that he's a lovely lad you know but gareth he'll be first to tell you i mean back when he was at palace uh, first of all, um, you know he, he was. He, it was quite basic for Gareth. It was, you know, get the ball, launch it forward, squeeze <laughs> up, and he was a very athletic person. But he, he developed as his time went on as a player. When he moved to, uh, to Aston Villa, he learned the game, dropped a bit deeper, became a centre half, if you like, and, and instead of a, a what I would call a boxy box midfielder, because he had a tremendous engine. Or oh, what an athlete he was! You know, he was incredible. Could get him down the pitch, no problem. Uh, but he's done remarkably well. I'm delighted from. It's nice in in any sport when good people get rewarded, and Gareth's one of the very very best. So you're not going to meet a much nicer uh, person than, than than Gareth. Uh, he's humble. He's got great humility about him. Um, he's he's a great learner. He just wants to be better and better. And I'm absolutely delighted with the job that he's doing with England. And you know, for a lot of people coming through who say that good people don't always get on. Well, he's shown me that you can do it, so I'm delighted for him. From that um, little little spell at Palace, I say little spell. He was about eighty odd games in the end, wasn't it? Um, mm. you, you scored a, a, you know, I think it was well, it's definitely definitely more than five or six goals, something like that. But. Um, Oh, someone look up Wikipedia for seven. me. <laughs> seven. <laughs> seven goals. Yeah, seven. Seven. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you got a particular favourite to pick out? Uh, well, I got the one against Charlton, which yeah. uh, obviously were one of the, and the, I think it was the playoff semi-final second leg, um, where I scored way outside of my right foot, uh, and it sort of curled into the top corner. Yeah. Obviously, the timing of it, um, and, and beating your great rivals to get through to the final was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, what you want to do in, in football, you want to bring joy to the fans. You want them to have a good time. You know, they want you want them to come on the journey with you. Uh, and that day, they were unbelievable. You know, and obviously to go through to the final, that was the one we lost to Leicester, was uh, was, was quite incredible. And I remember when we beat Wolves uh, the following season over the two legs. And I actually, I'm a big golf fan. And I went to Hanbury Manor. It was the English Open. And one of the first people that I met there was a, a golfer who was a Wolves fan who'd been at the game the night before. And he said to me, of all the people I didn't want to meet walking around this golf course was you after you lot beat us last night. So that was particularly <laughs> nice as well. Uh, so it just shows you that sports transcend, you know, the crossover. And it's, uh, it, it was great to see. And they, and they took it in the right way. But yeah, if them playoffs semi-finals and obviously the disappointment left her but the joy against uh, uh, and the Sheffield United one was absolutely brilliant I just want to say that Jake has celebrated every time you mention that Leicester playoff it's, it's making me so <laughs> angry um, last one from, from me Ray we've got Lee in the studio who's a Fulham <laughs> fan who's infiltrated the show today very, very cleverly you know he's, he's managed to weed his way in obviously you had a uh, you know you've got you've got your Fulham connection uh, what was your time at Fulham like? Oh, absolutely brilliant. I mean, actually, they, they, I mean, West Ham gave me my opportunity. That was my first club. I had three years with uh, West Ham and only had one uh, opportunity in the first team, came on as a sub against Arsenal. Uh, and then I was asked to move on. It was, a, it was a strange decision because my last season at West Ham in the, in the reserves, I scored 19 goals from midfield. Probably today I'd get a four-year contract on a lot of money for that, but back then it wasn't quite good enough. Uh, and Fulham was the ones that picked me up. And Malcolm McDonald in particular. Malcolm, 
Uh, and Terry Mancini was the reserve team manager at Fulham. He'd seen me play for West Ham, liked what he'd seen, uh, seen that I was a, a young lad and developing. So they decided to bring me to the club, and my first season at Fulham was, was absolutely outstanding. With some great players, Jeff Hopkins, Roger Brown, Tony Gale, Kevin Locke. The midfield and Ray Harford was a coach, God rest him. Ray Harford was one of the most innovative coaches that I came across throughout my footballing career. And, and Ray was one of the ones to develop the uh, the diamond in midfield, where I was on the left, Sean O'Driscoll on the right, Ray Lewington sat in front of the back four, and Robert Wilson was uh, the point okay. higher up the field, just in behind Dean Coney and, and Gordon Davis. So he, we had a, a very good side. The only thing that we didn't have was depth. So over the course of the season, the season we should have went up, we just lost out quite late on because we just started to run out of legs and we didn't have enough players in and around us to come in really to uh, to push us on to get uh, promotion that season. Great memories. Ray, absolute pleasure speaking to you this evening. I know the guys really do appreciate it. Hey, cheers, Ray. No problem, cheers, Ray. boys. All the best. Have a good show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Ray Houghton, their former Palace Liverpool player, and his and Fulham as well, Lee. Got Mitchell Fulham. Fulham as well. Uh, we're on till nine <laughs> p.m. this evening. We've heard Ray's uh, thoughts ahead of that game. We'll get the guys in the studio's views up next. From Ali to Zaha, we've got it covered. Love Sport Radio. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast www.backofthenest.com The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.